Folks, take it from me, NBA legend Bill Walton. Like all great experiments in American history, the 3 and D Love podcast will revolutionize your life. Welcome to the 3 and D Love NBA podcast. Thanks for joining us, and I'm your host, Michael Eaney. We're joined, as always, by the brother, Ryan Eaney, and, of course, our namesake, the venerable D-Love, Derek Lovegren. Here we go. Thank you, Michael. All right, NBA fans, we are now just a couple weeks away from wrapping up the 2020-21 regular season and entering into the most wonderful time of the year, the NBA playoffs. May Madness! May Madness is here, well, at least a couple weeks away. Uh, we got a lot of things to sort out, analyze, predict, and get excited about. As we predicted before the season started, it is a tight race for number one in the Western Conference between the Phoenix Suns and Utah Jazz. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> they, they are Who? neck and neck. I think they were tied going into today. The Denver Nuggets, minus Jamal Murray, are making their move as they surpass the Clippers. Minus every point guard or guard or anyone else under the – except for Composo. He's their only guard left. No, the only guard left is is, uh, Jokic. He's seven foot, (laughs) out of shape. White out of dude, shape playing point guard out of shape anymore before the game tonight against the lakers they kept showing the preview you know of coming out of the golden state game and it was him like with these bands and he was doing stuff with bands i'm like if you're doing stuff with bands and resistance i mean Jokic is on he's on the prowl man he's on the prowl right now he's like a big yeah, bear with claws I mean, it speaks to your fitness level when you you get to just kind of sort of flabby and they're like man this guy is in the shape of his life he said at one point, because I think it was the year, year before, he got he lost so much weight that he was like, I can't bang around inside anymore. He's like, I need some of that weight back. So he, he has now struck a perfect balance between really those two. Is. He needs a little bit of that. But he looks he looks quick. Well, my favorite narrative, which is a little insensitive, was he came back to the bubble after the layoff easy, last, easy, last easy. year. Dr. And he lost so much weight that there was a conspiracy that he had actually had got COVID during the break and it had never been reported. That no, because he, no, he went to that tennis he tournament. So he went to the the Joker, the Joker tennis tournament. The other Joker, the tennis Joker, Djokovic. He went to his tennis tournament, and it was it was like flouting all the rules about COVID. And then everyone went there, got COVID, including Djokovic and his wife. And it was like, I mean, it was early COVID. It was like post Hanks COVID, post Gobert COVID, but not like full full into the COVID COVID. And I think the Joker may have been sick as well. So I'm glad he's okay. Of all the COVID conspiracies uh, talk, that is not one that I've I've heard of. Uh, so, good to know. But speaking of the our Joker, is I mean they're in a roll right now. I mean it may be fool's gold. You know, again they they're down three guards, and I think you know we've been a skeptical podcast when it comes to Jamal Murray and his talent and ability. He's obviously done a lot of things. Some of us, myself, would refer to him as a glorified Mike Bibby. Um, Mike Pippi would actually be doing really well right now because he's so strong that, like, if you couldn't hand check or bump him, he would get his jumper every time on people. He would just sort of do the back down pull up game on them. But that, that's that's neither here nor there. Their backup point guard, you know, Morris gets paid nine million bucks a year. So the expectation should be that he's going to be, you know, a quality backup. He's going to keep them growing. He gets hurt. They just lose guys left and right. They're still rolling along. Question for you guys. 
in all the seeding madness we're going to talk about, do you want the Nuggets? Do you not want the Nuggets? I am long on the Nuggets. I think Jokic is the central point, as Michael noted. He's the point guard. He's everything. He's the straw that stirs the drink. Even with this lineup they had tonight, MJP's playing great. Gordon, pretty good. They've had this little composite point guard. they got Dozier playing major minutes. It's a kind of a mess out there, but I think Jokic can take them away. What do you guys think? Then they're, they're going to sign Composite to like a $50 million deal. <laughs> Four years, 50 million. And, and Jackie McMullen is going to sing Tim Connolly's praises. <laughs> they're string point guards. No, you, you're, uh, you're, uh, my next three or four lines of this intro are dedicated to the Denver Nuggets. So Hit it. Now that we're on the topic, Hit it. No, I mean, I, he he is the best player in the league right now. Porter Jr. is playing like an all-star. But, Ryan, this is like what you what you envisioned for this team, right? That the offense starts, stays, and ends yes. with the Joker. Like, he is all things to them. And they're making it work. And Aaron Gordon, I know he, they're not a big three with Aaron Gordon, but... Uh, <laughs> no, no, no. They're a big three, D, just like the big three for Phoenix. Stick to your guns, my man. You were right. <laughs> you were right about Paul Booker and Bridges or Aiton, whoever else, Crowder. Um, yeah, no, he, you're right. Yoga's getting the ball. He's running through everything. It's just... And the guy, is, he's so good. I mean, he is the MVP. He's... I mean, we talked at the beginning of the year. He's like, is he a top five player? And he is just... He is right there at the top. I mean, it is in, 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 in another defense, you know, the Embiid defenders, you know, point out Embiid's a great defensive player. Jokic is not, but he's still a big guy, man. He still can make some plays. I mean, you even saw the strip, the block really against Zion late in that recent game. I mean, he's still doing stuff. He's incredibly smart and he's like relentless. I mean, again, he's just, he's just relentless. And it's just so fun to see a guy in his mid twenties just do that. Okay, let's just make another criticism of Tim Connolly, though, the Denver GM. Imagine if they had done our ideal trade, trading Murray. Not that he even got hurt, but imagine if they had Harden, Jokic, and MJP. I mean, you wouldn't even need anyone else. I mean, mean, even Harden being hurt, I mean, I don't know. MJP, we've been on the MJP bandwagon from the beginning. I feel like the Nuggets are totally validating us. I feel better as a person just watching them play. <laughs> They're playing the Lakers down LeBron tonight. We'll see what happens. It's exciting. Go Compazzo, go. <laughs> I do have one question, Ryan. If the Nuggets meet your expectations, and I'm, I'm poking fun only in jest, if the Nuggets meet your expectations, will you get Michael Porter Jr.'s three-letter acronym in the right order going forward, or do you MPJ. think it'll continue to be Michael Junior Porter. M- MPJ. Nathan Hale what? Hale, Hale what? what? Uh, I do love that. You know, we joked that, that Danny Ainge traded uh, Tice from the Celtics to the Bulls to make um, that rotation or start to work better and get Time Lord into the rotation. And I wonder if, in hindsight, Tim Connolly should have traded Murray, not, whether for Harden or for someone else, just to make sure the ball – got into our man Jokic's hands more often than than the little love fest that the media gets to have with Murray, right? He's doing all his martial arts in Ontario in the sub sub freezing weather, right? He's balancing is that, is that Rocky Four? Is that Rocky Four music I hear? I don't it is. I mean it's like I I I think his father is Ivan Drago and he really he really 
you know, drilled it into him to have mind over matter, except with torn ACLs. The mind does not oh, surpass easy, easy, torn ACLs. Easy. The millennial angst coming out right here. I know it's tough. You know, <laughs> you guys are coming of age. The Gen Z is right behind you. You're no longer the brightest of the ball. You gotta, you know, you're kind of trying to figure out how to. Where do I go in life? Murray tore his ACL. It's a, it's a, it's a horrible tragedy. I, w- I would love to see Murray back and play at full strength and see the Nuggets go to war with him. But I think they can still do pretty well without him. Well, gosh, I mean, I think we all thought it was going to be that the Lakers were the front runner, and um, now we'll see. <laughs> oh, wait, we can't cover my Laker material yet. That's that's later on in the intro. I've, I've already got to delete the Denver stuff from the <laughs> teleprompter here. <laughs> Carry on. We'll come. We'll get to the next team here. Uh, NBA writer Chris Haynes from Yahoo Sports lit a fire under the Blazers after writing that the Blazers need to do more to support Lillard, or the relationship might become untenable. But then the Blazers won four in a row. Uh, we, going into tonight, we were tied with the Mavs and Lakers for five, sixish area, uh, and the Blazers were ready to shock the world and make some noise in the Western Conference. Um, I mean, we, we get ahead of ourselves when we have a winning streak, but it was really exciting. But the, then we came, we came, faced the Atlanta Hawks tonight who, uh, look like, you know, they're ready to win the Eastern conference, obviously. (laughs) So, um, we were tired from the Boston game, but anyway, um, we'll come back to them a a little later too. Um, going to move to some, uh, off the court stories. Uh, Steve Kerr made headlines for decrying the lack of fundamentals in the modern NBA game. Coach Kerr came back from his annual retreat with Larry Brown, Greg Popovich, and Bob Knight and decided to point out that teams don't box out anymore, which I don't re- I don't know. I think the last time a team really boxed out was the Riley Knicks in the mid-90s with uh, Anthony Mason and, and Charles Oakley. They did a nice job with that, but... Uh, that's perfect. for you. I just, I just love the visual of an overnight with Larry Brown and Popovich. The whole night they're just talking Bobby about boxing out. Just and, kind of yeah. like saying like inappropriate things left and right. It's like, but it's really actually behind closed doors. Steve Kerr's the one talking like a general, you know. <laughs> Although when I was watching the Blazers play the Celtics, there was one play where I was like. Box out. And then, oh, well, maybe maybe he's onto something there. I mean, Kerr is suffering from the madness of being an NBA coach. Where we've talked about you, know, you have such little influence over, like, like you have such little influence of what you can actually make be better. You can just you can do a lot more harm than good, right? So you you know you don't you run this complicated offense. You don't put the ball in your best player's hand as much. You know, you comp- overcomplicate things for your young rookie. You know, you make mistakes that, like, hurt the team. But, like, what can you really do to help them? <laughs> Just, like, well, can you imagine sitting there, like, for – a hundred, like hundred straight days, like fifty games, and just seeing Kent Bazemore never box anyone out. Kent, <laughs> like, like this, is, Kent, this, is your, point. this is your one yes. thing to do, man. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking, guys, of young rookies, Lamelo Ball returned from his wrist injury over the weekend and made a three-quarter underhand pass that oh. I don't even think Patrick Mahomes could pull off. Did you? Guys <laughs> that see was that crazy. Pass? That was awesome. The most intriguing story, though, of course, is the rise of the Wizards, who are likely going to get oh. in the bubble 
beat Indiana, Charlotte, and prove that Michael and Ryan were right all along, which is just terrific. <laughs> so yeah, you guys are very excited about that. As we talk about Westbrook, who Westbrook's again, back, man. He was never Second gone. Second greatest point guard Except- of all time. <laughs> Except for those two weeks where the whole franchise had to shut down. So other than those two weeks, they're back. Like how? Oh, and Jason, how is he actually getting the twenty? Like tonight he had what, like twenty-four assists, twenty-one rebounds, or vice versa. Like how is he actually doing that? Like, like, like how does he? Get, how do you get twenty rebounds? I know we're like in a, that team shoots. I mean, they play high scoring. Like there's more chances at it, but it's still pretty crazy. Like if you had told me like ten years ago. There'd be a point guard or even a two guard, whatever he is, that's getting like twenty plus rebounds and assists in a game. I would have well, been like, no one boxes <laughs> out. Kerr was right. <laughs> <laughs> My point exactly. It's it's his relentless energy, drive, dedication. It, it's it's pretty impressive. Though. Kerr's gonna go back when he, when he like leaves the Warriors and takes some time off and goes back to Turner and starts calling games again. He's going to be like, just turned into Van Gundy. <laughs> it's going to be like the sunny Kerr we knew before. It was always so positive. Had a great outlook on life. It's like, no, it's just going to be like decrying lack of box outs and, you know, talking up all the great assistant coaches in the league. It's just going to be, it's going to be great. And he'll have, he'll have one last hurrah like Chuck Daly. And then he'll say, I was much happier with this team than I was when the three titles we won. He already he already beat Daly to that one. So yeah, that's right. That's right. He's made a comment like that. The other thing to remember about him though too is he, you know, he's obviously you know five straight finals, incredible. But he was also the GM of the Suns, where he fired D'Antoni, hired Terry Porter, and traded Sean Marion for for Shaq. So it's like he he wasn't really a, a, like on that cutting edge of basketball back then. So it's not like, it's, I just the picture him like, you know, complaining with Bobby and I at the overnight about how, but if we just passed and cut away, we just passed the screen away. It's, it's, it's who needs the screen and roll stuff. These kids these days box out, somebody box out. Maybe Pat Riley was at those retreats and that's what gave Kerr the idea of let's get Shaq. But it was just a little, little too late to, <laughs> Not in his mid-30s. Jason Tatum scored 60 points last week. Oh, Um, I would say look out for the Celtics, but it was a pretty uh, horrific thing. I don't know if you guys saw that. The end of the Blazers-Celtics games, you probably read about it if you didn't see it, but the Blazers had pretty much already had the game won, and with like 30 seconds left or something, they inbounded the ball, and both both Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum collided. Oh with each other right in front of Brad Stevens. I'm like, that is just the coach's worst nightmare there. And they were both like writhing in pain. It oh. was, I think Jalen, I think Jalen's might be worse, but they were both like Tatum was able to just walk off the court. And I, I, I haven't heard the update, but um, that, that did not look good. Anyhow, I mean, tied Larry Bird for the most points of any player in Celtics history. Right. I mean, I thought, mm. I mean, 60 is 60. I mean, even yeah, in today's it's, era, it's I mean, that's just, I mean, you tie Larry Bird for a Celtics record. That's a day, man. That's a day. Yeah. Uh, Luka Doncic has quietly become the second coming of Boogie Cousins. And, and after his getting his 15 technical foul is one short of getting a one game suspension. <laughs> the only difference he, is he was not villainized like Boogie Cousins was this one kind of snuck up on us because it was not really covered that's a story in and of itself but uh a lot of 
a lot of whining from Luca. I'm going to come back to this one in a second. But speaking of whining, um, <laughs> LeBron James, ever considerate of the plight of the bottom half of playoff teams, is strongly against the playoff tournament. Shocking. Uh, saying that whoever came up with the idea should be fired. Where, where have you been all season with this? LeBron and it's my favorite I, subplot of the entire season so far <laughs> is is every time a team starts to hover near the seven seed they just want to bitch and complain about the playing tournament and when they're five four three whatever there's not even there's nary a mention of their concern for the plight of their you know fellow teams right it only becomes a bad idea as soon as you're you're in in, ten, in the territory of having to fight for your playoff life. And I, frankly, am a huge fan of the playing tournament, regardless of the implications for the totality of the season. I mean, right? You don't want to be in the playing tournament. Win more games, right? <laughs> you know, get the sixth seed, right? I, I just think the 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 com- competition around ten, eight, six. Uh, even in the higher up seeds, as they look to kind of look at seeding and the first round of the playoffs. I mean, all together to me, it's just a fascinating um, opportunity to see the competition arise. I mean, across all these different levels. I mean, we have levels of games here that matter. I mean, in a normal year, the Lakers would still be sleepwalking until the playoffs. I mean, they would have no concern regarding five, six, seven, whatever. I mean, that that's sort of their, their floor plausibly is, is seven. And I don't think they would care, right? I mean, they're they're regardless of who they play, you know, they're going to have a first round matchup where they're on the road. And and now we have Lakers games. The next eight Lakers games are going to matter, right? They're going to look at how they're bringing back LeBron. I mean, they borderline brought LeBron back too soon. He's not playing tonight against the Nuggets because he alluded to at least he's not feeling a hundred percent, and he may not be hundred percent for the rest of the no, season. Never but. again, he said. Never again was the quote. And, but I just think it's a fascinating dynamic, the playing tournament and the role it's having on how all these different players sort of perform here coming down the stretch. You guys ever think Le- LeBron has a little bit of that, like the, the child prodigy syndrome in him with, with some of the entitlement? I mean, someone that refers to himself, he doesn't do it anymore, I don't think, but he used to at one point refer to himself in the third person. And, and there's a little bit of a tendency towards some drama. I mean, hyperbole saying, I don't know if I'll ever be 100%. <laughs> no, exactly. That, that's just, you know, sometimes he stays on the ground a little longer than seems fitting of, of the foul in the moment. And he seems a little entitled with this playing tournament. Hey, hey, Derek, I need you to quit fitting out, and I need you to start fitting in. Which is <laughs> <laughs> what he told Kevin Love several years ago in a subtweet. <laughs> yeah, and like the Kyrie stuff, you know, I did everything I could to make. I know we know Kyrie has his issues, but he's like, I did everything I could to make him great. Poor, I did this. I just listen to the pronouns. It, <laughs> that's why Kyrie left because it, it's all about you. <laughs> anyway, there's no diagnosis. In LeBron's that, defense, Derek. In yeah. LeBron's defense, I will say that he has some of that, and it's also like one-tenth of probably what it should be considering he's on the cover of Sports Illustrated at 16 and driving like a Hummer at 18 and on national televised games since he was 16 or 17. He's literally never, I mean, in all outside of J.J. Barea guarding him in the post in 2011, he's really never met any sort of substantial failure in his, his like sporting career. 
He yes. hasn't had a public yep. blow up or I mean, really, he's adapted in a way that's quite remarkable considering whether it's show business or athletics, the 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 time and time again, you see these athletes or these celebrities come onto the scene at this age where they're, you know, 17, 18, 19, 20. And all of a sudden, at some point down the road, they have all of these issues, right? Tiger Woods being one of the most famous and he's never had it. I mean, it's kind of crazy to me that he's been able to manage his life and his business in a way that not only he's avoided the controversy in large part, but also brought along this entire group of friends that have, that have really come along and become their own set of difference makers in the industries that kind of surround him. And so it's actually, I think, a pretty remarkable dynamic yeah. for, for a guy like LeBron James, despite maybe some of these foibles that I do think are fair criticisms, right? And they kind of both simultaneously can coexist here. Um, and, and so I'm kind of fascinated to see again what the next this next phase of his life can look like because um, he has had such little you know, trauma, I guess, in some ways over the last, you know, two decades. He's, he's the most, I agree with your points, Michael. He's the most well-adjusted child star since uh, Ron Howard. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's true, actually. Though, I, I agree. He, under the circumstances and the environment that he grew up in, I think he has adjusted remarkably well. I just think it is interesting. There are a little bit of traces of that in there that do come out from time to time. And you're, you're not... Some of those issues tend to surface when you're uh, facing the possibility of uh, a playoff uh, elimination uh, if you lose a couple games in the Biden tournament. <laughs> but no, your point's well taken. But if, it, if the Ron Howard comparison, it would really be that LeBron had a great rookie season, some great early years, and then we didn't know what happened to him, and then he came back as a great coach, right? <laughs> like he came behind the camera and really did it. So. <laughs> yes, yes, he has to show his versatility. This would be like if if Ron Howard like turned into Tom Hanks and just became after his, his younger <laughs> career and became Tom Hanks and was still totally normal. So, although I always think about Hollywood and normalcy and prodigy, I remember like John Hamm when he first became a star with Mad Men was was talking about like how important it was to become famous later in life and you were more adjusted and all the stuff. And then, you know, he's gone through his own ups and downs. So I don't know if that really, that stuff applies to well, anyone. It's, it was the Clooney paradigm, right? I mean, Clooney didn't get famous till he was like 30. You know, he didn't get on ER at the, until it became a big deal in his thirties. And it's, it's very much the same, the same kind of vein. Yeah. And none of these athletes ever have that. I mean, regardless of even the level of success, I mean, you saw guys, especially pre one and done rules. I mean, you saw high school guys coming to the league, having so much money, so much fame and notoriety, at least without any degree of success or sort of proving it outside of you know high school basketball. And I think in large part, that's, that's something that's been a testament to the structural changes that have been made and what's really encouraging about some of the G league development um, and other kind of programs that are out in the wilderness here right around high school and, and then alternatives at NCAA to prepare these players for, you know, professional basketball, but also sort of groom them in ways for a level of maturity that, that wasn't really experienced in the 90s and kind of the aughts. But aren't we using LeBron as the starting point of this conversation, someone who did not have an extra year? Before he came in, did not have the support. Just came I mean, in that's fresh. That's the point, right? I mean, that's what's so crazy. No, but he did it. But so did Kobe. I mean, R.I.P. So did Garnett. I mean, those guys. I mean, Kobe had you know some some more public issues, obviously that 
you know, went on. But, you know, those guys are all incredibly successful. I, I don't know. I just think it's like some of the stuff coming. I mean, I, I hear you on this. Like, if you're talking like early, mid-90s, sort of Glenn Robinson era, like some of that stuff kind of like had some impact in terms of like the, the league and everything. But I don't I don't know. Like the one and done rule, I still just don't see see the purpose of it, like protecting people from themselves. It's a little, you know, paternalistic to me. And I think LeBron shows that. I mean, I think LeBron is one, one in a billion, but at the same time, I think, you know, guys can come in and do their thing. They should be able to do their thing. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, speaking of, of entitlement and talking about Luca star players, we were, we were touching on this earlier today, but uh, you know, Luca. Obviously, I well, I didn't know if he if this is a new thing for him to get this many technicals. Did 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 he have this many uh, issues with refs last year, or previous year? Not to get to this level, I think, but it's certainly been present. Last year, he had thirty eight technicals. I don't know. We didn't hear anything about it. <laughs> He's a well regarded belly acher. <laughs> but so a couple, well, I think it was about a year ago. I was telling you this, I was listening to a Michael Lewis podcast where he was talking about the referee system, you know, since they started the operation in Sequoia, New Jersey. And that's where they do the, all the replay stuff too. But, you know, every referee is always under scrutiny because they're, all their calls are getting assessed. They're getting graded and, you know, they're obviously that that's tied in with their livelihood, whether they, advance whether they do playoff games whether you know if, if you're getting bad grades right you're um you're not going to stick around for too long so the theory is that in recent years we've seen this increase of star players griping whining complaining about the referees and the the reason why is because now the whole star treatment that players were getting is becoming a thing of the past because what incentivizes referees more than self-preservation and being concerned about their own careers as opposed to uh, following some unwritten code about how uh, star players have, have certain get certain privileges when it comes to fouls. But Zion the other day made a comment about he had a bad call or something. I, I didn't get all the details, but he basically said, well, I, I, you know, I have to kind of uh, earn, earn my keep in the league or it's going to take some time for me to build up the credit to kind of get the calls that I deserve basically. But I don't think that is the case. If, if this theory is true, that star treatment is, is, is a thing of the past. I mean, you see a lot of star players, Lillard, I love Lillard. He does complain a lot. LeBron complains a lot. Harden complained a lot. I don't know what the, the breakdown is, but, um, is this a? I guess if that's true, is that a good thing for the league? I mean, do we have some kind of actually some some equality when it comes to refereeing now? I I do feel like it's sort of a long shot that there's actually any sense of, of equality. I think if anything, maybe this year's a bit of an outlier simply because there's not fans, and I think fans can have an environmental impact on how the the cognitive bias with which refer, referees operate. Um, but I, I do think what Michael Lewis talks about in that against the rules podcast, which is a great series actually is I think really fascinating. And, and I think it's, it's curious to see 
how this how this reporting environment in Secaucus that's now been around for multiple years sort of continues to evolve and improve the quality. I mean, I think what you do realize when you watch NBA referees is how good they actually are. I mean, how often guys do complain and are actually, you know, they're very rarely something obviously missed that deserves the sort of venom with which Damian Lillard or Luka Doncic respond to the lack of a call or maybe the wrong call, right? I mean, it's just, it's very often either borderline or actually the referee was right. I mean, it's just amazing how good these guys are. Um, but I do, I, I don't know. I find that the complaining is just gone. It's just, it's a tale as old as time in a lot of ways. I mean, it was in 2011 that like there was a new emphasis in the NBA that if you complain to a referee, you got an automatic technical foul, like just immediately. And they did it in the preseason for two weeks. And then the league office basically under the radar was kind of like, yeah, we're going to chill on this because it's not so fun to see all your star players get technical fouls basically immediately. Um, you know, 2018, I think, 17-18 was one of the first seasons where they started to really emphasize the, this relational dynamic between referees and players. It was sort of this peak boogie Draymond sort of disrespect for referees. Um, it was sort of perceived as a big issue. So I just think these things have been around for a long time. and And to me... Seeing how they evolve and, and how to handle them is a tricky balance. You know, I think Doncic, obviously the, the, the technical foul penalties, I mean, to me, seemingly is the one of the biggest drivers of behaviors. I mean, it's obviously, it's the Rashid rule. I mean, at the end of the day, he got so many tees that year in, what was it, 97 or 98, that, you know, he, at a certain point, they just had to put in a rule that said if you get... 97, 98, 99, 2000, 2001, 2002. Yeah, on your 16th, you start going, is there, it's a per-game game. Uh, suspension and Ryan you're right I mean his he's kind of set the tone for how to handle this I mean and Rodman to a certain degree before him in the mid-90s but you know Rashid sort of took it to a whole nother level and 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 it wasn't even necessarily just Rashid I mean the way the referees treated him I mean we've talked about it in some of these books we've read was sort of kind of ridiculous on multiple levels but um, you know, I, I'm curious to see what a guy like Doncic, who is young, who has demonstrated an inability to sort of control his emotions oftentimes. I mean, this is no surprise, and it's actually interesting just to me how it's been covered, being sort of a foreign player, um, a white player in, a lar- in large part. I think it's naive of us to not allude to the way this is treated and, and covered um, and, and not being sort of having some racial connotations to it. And um, and I'm so I'm curious as a young player how he manages his emotions. He sort of, you know, had a mea culpa last night after the game, alluded to the fact that he's going to sort of not get another one. Don't worry about it. Uh, but watching him play for now multiple seasons, I do find it hard to believe that he's going to be able to keep his mouth shut. Um, and, and I'm curious how the league is going to start to treat him because obviously down the stretch, I mean, at the, at the wrong time, he gets another tee and he's out for a playing game for a playoff game. Right. And it can have a serious impact on the competitive balance and on the, the, the entertainment level of these series. And so I'm really fascinated to see, I mean, if I remember in the, the 16, but in the, in the Warriors Cavs series, when Draymond got suspended for that game five, there was a whole big kind of conversation around whether they should enforce the flagrant foul point system and ultimately suspend Draymond given the circumstances, right? The kind of what was on the line there. And they ended up kind of following the letter of the law. And so I imagine the league's going to do something similar, um, but I'm curious if the refs change their behavior as it pertains to Luca to sort of hold the whistle back a little bit and not necessarily respond just so quickly because 
you know, it's going to result in Doncic, you know, you know, they're one of the preeminent stars in the league at this point from being able to kind of assert his will in the playoffs or in a plan type series. I mean, Ryan, what do you think? How is this going to play out coming down the line? Yeah, I mean, if he gets one in the playoffs, they're going to have an automatic L the next game because they have nobody. <laughs> <laughs> they have nobody on that team. No wonder he's complaining to the refs. I mean, it, next man up, yeah, right? Next man yeah, up. next man. <laughs> Car- Carlisle is going to get thrown out, too, because he had to show up the next game. That would be horrible. Yeah, Iso Brunson. <laughs> Give me some Tim Hardaway Jr. Oh, man. That would be brutal. Yeah, I think a couple of things are going on. I think one is that the players have figured out what fouls that they can draw. So they've, you know, it's the Harden, Doncic does it, Curry, all the guys. Like where they, when the guy gets his arms over you, you immediately rip through and that's a foul. And sometimes it'll be a shooting foul, sometimes it won't. So I think you have that where it's like this letter of the law. If you do that, you're going to get a foul. You know, all the different things people do to kind of rip through and try to get shots. I mean, there's just, it's just they call it every time, right? And so you combine that, which I, I do – like what you're saying or what Michael Lewis is saying, D, does resonate with me that there is an effort to, kind to um, you know, I don't know, just play it straight as you can. And I think you see it sometimes in the way – like in all fan bases are a little bit crazy, but just the way, you know, Steph is – officiated so the other guys are officiated where you're, they're not getting like they get some calls but they're not getting like a lot of call. i don't feel like i look at some of these guys and go wow they get a lot of calls like just because they're the one of the best players in the league i don't really see that i see them getting the calls that are like the those calls that they know they can get and they sell it and they're a star so maybe that gets they get it more often than someone else but i, I do think you know it's kind of like i don't see the guys getting the same amount of calls maybe as in the past. So that, that definitely resonates with me um, just qualitatively. Uh, but, I, but I think those combinations are hard. And I think then you have the guys, you know, communicating with the refs. And I think the refs, I think the way they've done it, I, I do think some of the tees they call are a little bit over the top too. I, I think they've sort of swung the other way in terms of the tees that they do call. Like I was reading, I think – one of Doncic's tees was like he and one and he yelled at the ref as he was got his and one and they teed him up. And it's just kind of like, do you really have to do that? I don't know. <laughs> like, it's not like he's yelling at you or like showing you up. I just, sometimes the refs, it's just, they have a tough job, I guess, but it, it's just, they're all really annoying. They were annoying when you played like grade school basketball. So it's the same, same stuff anyway. <laughs> just stay off the court. Let us play the game. I think Luca is is just glad that uh, Joey Crawford is retired because he's on the Sixteenth, if he if he w- gets in gets uh, prevents him from being in his zone, <laughs> right. or just looks at him weird. Immediately tossed. And how does it work? So you get I should, but, so if he gets sixteen, he's out, and then it's like every even tee, he gets ki- every two. After then he's that. eighteen, he's out again. Yeah. I mean that's like I mean that's yeah. I mean that's gotta be tough to change your ways that much when you have that many. Yeah. No, I remember this well. Boogie Cousins, uh, that rule cost me a fantasy championship uh, when I had DeMarcus Cousins playing in the championship and uh, got suspended. It's been Cousins, Draymond, and now Luca. <laughs> Is there anyone else? It was starting with Rashid, as we said. <laughs> Maybe there's going to be, yeah, we're going to have someone else. <laughs> Who's the next guy that's going to uh, sneak up on us? 
as the surprise. I think Jokic. Uh, I think Jokic might be next. He, <laughs> oh, he yeah, he's, he's kind of losing it a little bit, and I think also because he's a big guy, he kind of gets the Zion sort of like, oh, let him beat him up. Like even LeBron gets that. Like they're so strong. Sometimes I think they get less calls, and Jokic is slimmed down as we noted earlier, but he's still a big guy. And you know he went. He's like, I just think it was so funny a few weeks ago. Mike Malone got tossed for complaining about the fouls on Jokic that were being called, and then Jokic like got pissed off and like the next game, and then Malone criticized him. We talked about it in the pod, but it just yes, I think Jokic is heading that direction. I think he's Doncic has really you know it's kind of like you know Nowitzki coming over really established a beachhead for European players. Now Doncic establishing a beachhead for European players to lead the league in technical fouls. I will say Dwight Howard, uh, he of playing about 18 minutes a game, also has 16 technical fouls. So oh, he has this. He's leading the league. Then knocking, into- knocking the door. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> the Sixers don't seem too concerned about that. Uh. <laughs> yeah, certainly. <laughs> I think the Lakers fans miss him, though. If you read Lakers Twitter this week, man, they're they're freaking out. It's like you know. When they're when when the when the foreign fan base is screaming and crying for Mark Saul to come in and save the day, it's not not the best spot to be in. And they're saying they missed Dwight Howard. <laughs> I mean, what do you think's going on there, right? I mean, they 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 kind of stem the tide when largely LeBron is out along with AD, right? I think they went five and five in their last ten before Davis came back, and then. He comes back and he shoots about 22% from the field and is clearly kind of working himself back into it. And then LeBron ends up coming back seven games later and they're collectively, I think, one and seven in those last eight games, I want to say. Um, I, I just, what is your guys' situation? going to read on the situation here. Are you concerned going into the playoffs? Obviously, there's some level of a concern, but like, do you. Do you think they have a chance to kind of turn it around in the next half dozen games or, or is this something that, you know, just wasn't their year and the way the, you know, the, the stones fell just is not going to work out. I'm definitely more concerned about the Lakers than the Nets, even with some of the net struggles and Harden still being out and Durant coming back. I, I just, the, the Lakers, you know, they really depended on their really tough defense last year, and then also they hit a lot of open three-pointers. I mean, that was really the key, and played Davis at center in the playoffs, and that really took them to the championship. Um, so I think what happened, just, you know, look reading a bit, it seems like what's happening is that they've, you know, some of the guys who really held the defense together, like Gasol, like Caruso, haven't been playing as much or been injured, and so they just don't have that same mix in there that they had before. So, you know, Drummond and others provide some other things like Harold provides other things that those guys don't, but at the same time, you know, you're losing out on that, on that end. So I think that's the question for them. It's even more to me that if LeBron and Davis are both healthy at the top of their game is like, can they recapture the defense and can they just hit enough open threes to like score enough points to beat some of these teams in the West? And, you know, I, th- I think that's going to be hard. Um, because, you know, there's there's a couple of these teams, like even Dallas and Denver, they, they're kind of one-man bands now, but they both have – I mean, they still have uh, MJP, so that's good in Denver. 
but they, uh, you know, they, they they have enough. They have enough there. But it's those teams would still scare me if I was the Lakers, just because they kind of bring this back together. Um, but what do you see, Andy? Yeah, I mean, uh, Davis went what like five from five of eighteen from the field last night. Like he just does not look himself. I'm actually surprised that they played him on back to back nights tonight. And he's actually when I checked, he was doing a little bit better. Um, but he just doesn't he doesn't have his his rhythm, doesn't look healthy. Uh LeBron, same kind of thing. So I just I think it's fascinating. I think this is this is the parody I feel like that you were talking about um in the playoffs and now it just seems so wide open. Uh Denver still looks good, but they did lose Murray and nobody else is to me standing out as like the, the team to beat. So I think we we are dealing with some some ultimate parity here. I think if if they're healthy, I mean it, you can say that it it just takes time for a team to really come together. You got dr- Drummond in the fold, so um, everybody to be on the same page. But there has been times where teams have been written off before the playoffs, and they just they find a way to to put it together. It, it happens rarely, but it it can happen. So I do think if they have. Um, if if Davis starts looking like himself and LeBron does too, then they're in the mix. But uh, but it's wide open. Now. Well, it's a great point, D, because so, someone pointed out on Twitter that if you look at LeBron's like finishes, like the last number of seasons, his teams always struggle at the end. And actually, like a year ago, going to the bubble, or I guess just last last year where they went in the bubble, they were struggling as well. And it was like, oh, what are they going to do? They're going to be able to I – mean, is, is Portland going to knock them off after game one in the, in the <laughs> first round? So, yeah, that's a, it's, a, it's a totally fair point that they can kind of get things going the right direction. They still have those two guys. It's just a little – it's get a little close for comfort. Um, and I know we had – you know, it was, a, it was kind of an unfair debate, and it still is. AD just came back from his injury. He's, he's struggling getting back. But, man – our, our, our question, I think it was from last week, about how good would the Bucks be with Anthony Davis. Man, can you get more dis- disparate in terms of comparing these two right now? Giannis going for 49. 49. <laughs> and that block yeah, on Durant good. was absurd. When Durant goes to that pull-up game and he shoots the ball about, like, 11 feet in the air, and Giannis, like, just comes right with him, comes up and just blocks it to the side, that was, that was one of the incredible defensive plays I've ever seen. That was amazing. Well, I, I will watching these Lakers over the last few weeks. I think it told me a couple of things that I thought were interesting. I mean, we've had long, we've long discussed the condensed season, the impact on player health, the impact on the psychology around these guys and, and kind of assumed at least with these nets injuries and these Lakers injuries and a few of the other injuries across the league that, that teams were kind of playing it safe, playing it cautiously because of the demands of the regular season and bringing all their stars back, I think slower than maybe in a normal year. And I'm wondering, especially looking towards a guy like James Harden who came back and then got hurt again, if we need to be more concerned with some of these guys that are lingering out with injuries or continue to kind of, ping pong back and forth because clearly ad and lebron as much as we thought you know they are taking their time to come back clearly ha- are continuing to deal with issues i mean both of those players you know whether they've alluded to you know 
kind of general maxims of getting back into shape or, or actually, you know, LeBron's case speaking to the fact that he's, you know, may never be the same. I just, I think that's a really interesting ooh, dynamic to think 100% about. 100% never. Head, oh, oh, sorry. Sorry, D-Love. <laughs> so dramatic. Um, I'm just curious how, th- th- what that means for Harden kind of coming into the playoffs and to see if he does ultimately come back and, and how he looks as he comes back into the, into the fold, because obviously that has a huge impact on the Eastern conference playoff race. I mean, you know, again, the nets are, I think are the preeminent favorite if they have all three guys and it's much more open if it's just the two of them, right? It's just the normal nets without the depth that they had when they originally signed 18 months ago or two years ago. So you know, to me, that's a really fascinating thing. I think the other thing with the, the Lakers is I can't shake this sense that they it's still 80 and LeBron. Like, I just – there's nothing – I don't – I think there may be – we treated them as the preeminent favorite. They played really well early in the year. They've now ultimately gotten hurt. And I, I don't want to react so far the other direction in terms of assuming that, okay, now they're like the sixth or the seventh seed. They might be in the play-in tournament. You know, and, and sort of discounting them. I, I literally, I can't think of a time where at least in the top six, maybe seven, feels, you know, in large part like anybody can beat anyone. It just, it just feels that way coming into it. And you know, we texted about this. I, I was thinking back on similar teams, right, that had sort of established track record of success, but really didn't show up in in an, in a year where a lot of stuff was expected of them. And I think I went all the way back to the 95 Rockets, who I think were the second seed or the one or two seed in the year they won in 94. And then the in Drexler 95, yeah. they, they, they got Drexler midseason and he, they were the sixth seed and ultimately like we kind of came through the, the Western Conference and then won the title for a second year straight. Rudy, um, Tom, so Dom- that Rudy team, Tom Donovich in the, the Rockets branches, I mean, ahead of the game, to trade Thorpe, your power forward, move your small forward to power forward who can shoot, and then bring in Drexler. I mean, that was like, we were all like, oh, wow, that's amazing. That worked out. But it was like, it was brilliant. It was like 25 years in advance. Yeah, because Robert Ori was right at the power forward. Yeah. He'd be the, the prototypical guy. Yeah, exactly. Now. It, was, it was brilliant. It was like, oh, let's put the guy, the, the, the small forward, the power forward, let him, who can shoot, and we'll just open the floor for Akeem and Drexler. It's like, oh, brilliant. And then we all forgot about it for like 15 years. So. Someday, as its own topic, we need to talk about what Elijah Wan did to both David Robinson and Shaquille O'Neal. Uh, in that oh. playoff run and, and the, the, their loss of dignity from what what he did to them. <laughs> the MVP announcement night is one of my favorite stories. There's like a nine-minute oh, yeah. YouTube where they spend the first like 90 seconds just on the ceremony for David Robinson getting his MVP trophy. And they consistently like pan from like David Robinson doing David Robinson things like waving and waving to the crowd and saying, thank you. And then they cut back to Olajuwon and just like a man possessed. And then it's like seven straight moves up, up and unders, just absolute <laughs> evisceration of David Robinson. It's and like the greatest thing ever. It is. It is the greatest story. And what makes, what's the cherry on top of that story? Robert Ori told this story. He was standing next to Elijah Wan when they handed the trophy to David Robinson and he said, that's my trophy. <laughs> <laughs> and then he went out and just might as well just take that trophy, just hand it to him. It was amazing. I mean, the fact that no one 
you know, Jordan's drafted the third in his draft. And really, no one ever says, "Ah, the Rockets. What were they thinking?" Like, "Oh, they got Elijah one. That's pretty. That was probably that was yeah, a pretty good move right, right there." Right. I mean, that's that in itself is just incredible. I mean, to be a guy picked before the greatest player ever, everyone's like, "Ah, oh, well, yeah, made sense." <laughs> Speaking of referees, I remember they were calling. I think it was that series. They were calling some tr- some traveling moves on Elijah one, and he was was so pissed. And he was saying after the game, he's like. The move that I am making is actually too fast for them. I know it's not traveling, and I can I can show it to you. And it was like, <laughs> do you remember D? This is going uh, deep. This is going. This is a deep cut. Blazers deep cut. But do you remember when Elijah one was on the trade block, like in the early nineties, and it was actually yeah. like dis- no, we almost got him. It was close, it, right? They, they wanted like three. They wanted three of our starters. So it was it was going to be like Porter. Kersey and Duckworth and maybe instead of Kersey we, we could have put in Cliff Robinson but the other thing was that 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 was the offer on the table and the Blazers said no <laughs> oh you know these are things you can't substantiate unless we have um I don't know Jeff Petrie and Adelman and uh who, who was our GM during that time Paul Allen well the late Paul Allen was was not calling the shot so was our GM at that time, but that was the rumor. I mean, that was a very, I mean, we don't even talk about that in the might have been's of Blazer history. That's how, that's how many tough ones there are with the Jordan Durant ones and the Odin and everything. I mean, th- those could have been your Blazers titles. Those could have been like, those could have been the titles. I mean, he was, he just he was incredible. Well, and everyone would have looked at the Bulls and said, in hindsight, they were unbeatable. And, you know, but Elijah one and Drexler together, that might, that might be the combination that would be enough to give that team a yeah. run. <laughs> no, it's just crazy. It's. Can we just talk about how far the NBA has come in terms of how they value assets too? just the idea that, that a team like the Houston Rockets is treating them with, I mean, at that point was already considered sort of a generational talent in Hakeem Olajuwon and was basically asking for like three, you know, good, but sort of middle of the road starters. It's like if we were having the Harvard, the Harden conversation in January and it was like the Blazers can get Harden if they traded Nurkic, CJ and Rocco. If you just put those three in no draft capital, no young guys, just like three starters and not even all stars, just like starters. Hey, hey, Porter and Duckworth were all stars. They were all stars for a minute. (laughs) They were, they were, it's just like the bulls have two all stars this year. They had, they had, two (laughs) all-stars oh perfect perfect okay but the lakers this year's lakers i'm going to bring this full circle so i i thought of the rockets from the mid-90s i also thought of the 2015 spurs which we have talked a lot about the 14 spurs but the 15 spurs were a team that ended up playing the clippers in the first round and and had what i think is often considered one of the best first round series of all time where cp3 ultimately knocked out the spurs with like a floater off the glass in game seven and i'm curious if that's also you know potentially an outcome here for a, a defending champ you know coming to the to uh, a, a series with a lot of kind of nicked up older in age along on the tooth so to speak and all of a sudden right is going to come up against somebody Right. I mean, whether it's Denver or L.A. or Utah and has to, you know, it's going to be a tooth and nail kind of scrap to kind of see who can prevail. 
Um, I, I am very curious to see how the Lakers ultimately play out. I mean, what's so exciting? I mean, the, the dramatic part of me really does hope for them to fall into the, the playing tournament just because it would just be such good, you know, it would be so romantic almost to just to, to understand, to see how this play-in tournament sort of plays out with a team like the Lakers in it. But it certainly would be bad for, I think, the NBA in, in totality if the premier franchise is stuck in a play-in tournament. But if the, I mean, if the Lakers and the Warriors can get out at 7-8, and eight, that would be, I think that's the best of any world for them. It's sure. like if they actually come out of it. And I, I, the great part about all this, though, is that the Western Conference is going to be crazy. I mean, it's it's obviously deep as it, as it ever was. And it's sad with Murray losing Murray and the injuries for Denver, kind of st- making them take a step back. But you know, Phoenix and Utah are running hard. The Clippers are, you know, have a great offense and they're coming together in some ways. And you know, down the line, there's guys that I mean the series could get really weird. It could be a lot of like ups, upsets in quotes, where it's like, well, is the is the Blazers being the Clippers really a huge upset? Yeah, I mean. Probably, but not that huge. You know, it's like if the the, the Lakers are in the seven seed and, and they beat Utah, like, okay, like that's not a big upset either. So it'll just be really, it's going to be really fascinating to see how that all mix comes together. Yeah, we might have just four great matchups in the first round. You can usually count on at least a two or three, but yeah, you get the all across the board. There'll be a huge war in the West to see who comes out and plays the Wizards in the NBA Finals. <laughs> I thought you were going to say there's going to be a war in the West for who's the NBA TV series. Oh, man. Oh, we'll see. I can already foresee Utah fans complaining when and it's like it's Memphis, Utah on NBA TV is the 1-8 series. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds about right. <laughs> Sounds like what would it be like Hawks Bucks twenty fifteen or something. <laughs> exactly. No Bucks Pistons in the last couple right. of years. All right, guys, let's uh let's bring it home with some trivia here. Let's do it. I've now put the responsibility for knowing the score. Um, since you guys are the competitors on one of you, so either you both know it or one of you knows it. I think I think winning. my lead went back to being up two. I think in the last one. Oh, it's interesting. I like that you you put scorekeeping on the two players, the participants, right? I'm just waiting for this to devolve to every pickup game that we've ever played in, where invariably at some point in the run, some asshole is going to start complaining about what the score actually is, and wait, you stop for just ten minutes and easy, argue easy. about Don't it. Don't call me names. Oh, wait, okay, sorry. Oh, you, I didn't. I was no. Well, now we Never do cast we, aspersions. We have a record. It's just none of us are going to take the time to go back and actually listen. Just to, I am to up listen. three. <laughs> Audit that, my friend. Agreed. Can't go against the accountant when it comes to numbers. Okay, guys, which of these four players did not win Defensive Player of the Year multiple times? I'm going to read you four players. Three of these guys were uh, Defensive Player of the Year more than once. I want to know which of these four was not and only won one. So your candidates are, I mentioned a couple of these guys tonight, Rudy Gobert, Kawhi Leonard, Draymond Green, or Dwight Howard. Which of those guys only won Defensive Player of the Year award once? Man. 
I think unfortunately this award skews big guy and that is going to inform my answer here. Uh, I think I'm going to go Kawhi Leonard is the only player of those four to not have won defensive player of the year multiple times. Thank you, Michael. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure that Howard won twice and he was the most dominant defensive player there for four or five years, kind of in his prime. So I knocked that one off. Um, and then, yeah, I think, yeah, Go Gobert is, um, I think I, I agree with Michael. It's kind of what my thinking is he's, he's right around there. I think he's more likely to have gotten one, but I'm going to go a little different. I'm going to go with Draymond is only winning one. Um, I'm, I'm certain Kawhi won one, and I, I think he may have won two as well. So I'll go with Draymond as my final answer. Well, you both had the right logic about this. It was not one of the big men. Uh, but Ryan is right. It was Draymond wow. Green. How does it feel? <laughs> I have to say, I think I would have guessed, um, guessed Leonard on this one. So nice job, Ryan. Impressive. Feels good. Feels good, guys. I'm not going to lie. Do. Well, our apologies to Draymond Green. We did run out of time. <laughs> but uh... That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for joining us at the 3 and D Love NBA Podcast. We'll be back next time. But until then, remember, throw it down, big man. This isn't just a great podcast. It's a triumph of the human spirit.